Well, good morning. It's a, it's a great day to be gathered here. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans, chapter 16. Uh, those of you who are accustomed to being here with us at Redeeming Grace, you think, well, Pastor, you're in Romans 9. That's where we are. We're working our way through Romans. You're in Romans 9. We're going to Romans 16 today. We'll go back to Romans 9 next week. I thought we would look at something a bit different than uh, where we've been as of late, considering it's Mother's Day, but really want to focus broader than that today uh, as we consider God's Word and think about its implications for our lives. Let's pray together, and we'll consider God's Word. Father, again, we thank you for your truth. We ask now that you would open our eyes and help us see, open our ears and help us hear, and open our hearts that we may receive and be changed. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that we as Christians must be quick to affirm is the importance and contribution of all members of Christ's church. It's easy to take for granted the contributions of others, isn't it? Think about the seat that you're sitting in this morning. Someone put that there. About 7.25 this morning. Carpet, dividers, the coffee that you were able to enjoy, the Pastor Adam Strong, that's a, that's a hit, all right? Helps you stay awake during the sermon, that's the point. The hours that have gone into teaching your equipped classes and other opportunities we could think of. Just, it's, it's easy, I know even for me as a pastor, it's easy for me to take for granted the ministry of our church, and I mean of, our, of, of the people, the congregation, it's, it's easy to, to just assume and it's easy to take for granted the things that are going on to make the ministry of our church in particular, but any local church for that matter, all that goes on. And so one thing is certain, certain ministry requires many hands, doesn't it? Any local church that is merely dependent upon a pastor or the elders of the church is a church that's in great trouble. Thankful for our elders, but God's grace has extended beyond those and has gifted each and every one of you. One of the things that's often neglected in the church is valuing and appreciating one another in the way that the Bible both instructs and models. When well, Paul's conclusion to the Romans, I think what we find is a great model of what it looks like to recognize and value the contributions of those who serve in ministry. Let's hear Romans chapter 16, and we're going to read the first 16 verses. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved, Epetinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and 
they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, you may hear a list of names like that and think, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with anything? And, and just that kind of how Paul's closing out, and that kind of his, his followers on Twitter, you know, he's just kind of giving a check-in and shout out to these folks kind of as he wraps up this book of Romans. I mean, what does this have to do with it? What does it have to do with Mother's Day? I mean, yeah, you got a mother in there, right? I actually preached a Mother's Day sermon on Rufus's mother one day, one, many, many years ago. When you consider a list like this, it may be tempting for you to pass over its significance. But when I hear Romans 16, there, there's a wealth of treasure here. There's a lot that we could consider. In fact, as we wrap Romans up, Lord willing, in November, we'll come back to this and see much more. We're going to kind of hone in on, a, on a, just some specific uh, observations from this text today. There's so much more that we could say, and we will later in the year. But I want you to look at what Paul does. He mentions approximately 28 individuals, most of them by name, depending on how you count. 28, 29 individuals, most of them he greets by name. But I want you to notice something interesting about this list. Of the 28 or 29 individuals mentioned by name, there are at least 10 of them that are women. You have Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. You have Prisca or Priscilla, as we better know her, from Acts in verses 3 and 4. Mary in verse 6. Junia in verse 7. Trophina, Tryphosa, and Persis in verse 12. The mother of Rufus in verse 13. Julia and Nerusa's sister in verse 15. This is significant. And you may say, well, why, Pastor, is this significant? It's significant because in Paul's day, women were considered second-class citizens in a very much male-dominated society. So the fact that he recognizes and not only recognizes but commends and observes the importance of these godly, faithful women is huge. Paul recognizes the value and importance that women played in the ministry of the gospel, as they were co-laborers in the gospel. And this is huge because Paul is often labeled as a misogynist, one that's kind of demeaning towards women, but quite opposite is true. A big point that stands out in Romans chapter 16 is the value and importance of women in the cause of the gospel. Now here at Redeeming Grace, we are committed to what's called biblical complementarianism. 
And that view is that the Bible under, that we understand the Bible to teach is that God creates male and female of equal value and worth and importance, yet gives different distinct roles to be fulfilled in the church and at home. For example, here at Redeeming Grace, we would see the role of elder limited to that of men. But I would be the first complementarian to tell you that many complementarians take, take things way too far. I think that oftentimes they overread the passages of Scripture. And as a result, we end up with churches that dismiss, ignore, and undervalue the role and importance of women in the local church. I like what Pastor J.D. Greer recently wrote. He's going to be up for election of president of the Southern Baptist Convention this summer. He said this, The bottom line is that a commitment to biblical complementarianism does not preclude a commitment to the development, empowerment, and advancement of women in ministry or the unleashing of their gifting in the church. And brothers and sisters, that must be our commitment as well. And I think what we have here in Romans chapter 16 is a fantastic passage that highlights and commends and in an informal way instructs our understanding of what the local church ought to reflect when it comes to ministry. There are two dangers when we come to a passage like this that we want to avoid. The first danger is glossing over these verses that I think oftentimes is the case. That we would gloss over these verses and miss the role and impact of women in ministry. Second, there's also a danger of reading too much into a passage like this. But as we look at this text today, then we allow it to speak as it stands. I think that we will find plenty to affirm and celebrate about the role of both men and women in the local church. And particularly that we will see lessons gained from faithful sisters in Christ. So my big idea, my main point is this this morning. Women serve a vital and invaluable role in gospel ministry. What I'm going to see, what I think we see here, and what I'm going to walk you through in this passage are three observations, three things that the women of Rome teach us about the nature of ministry. Lessons that we take away from faithful, godly women in Rome, and we could say beyond that for sure, that we learn about the nature of ministry in the local church. So let's walk through these things together today. Lesson number one is that we should celebrate diversity in the local church. We should celebrate diversity in the local church. I know that that word diversity often has uh, differing connotations or different, depending on where you were, if you're in a college or university setting, it has a whole lot more meaning than I'm putting into it today. But we need to celebrate diversity in the local church, whether that's ethnic diversity or male-female diversity or old-young diversity, We need to acknowledge and celebrate the beauty of diversity that God has designed in his created order. Now there's a lot that stands out in these verses, and one thing is this, is Paul had a lot of friends. Had he had Facebook, he would outdo any of you, right? He had a lot of friends, ethnically diverse, weak and strong, slaves and free, men and women. And Paul had served and known many of these folks, in other contexts. So a lot of the things that you're seeing here is these people who are now in Rome, Paul had met them in other contexts as he served hand in hand and side by side in ministry with them. 
At virtually every point in ministry, Paul had a significant number of co-workers in the gospel laboring beside him. And these co-laborers included both men and women. And we often hear about co-workers like Barnabas or Timothy or Silas. But there were faithful, godly women who worked alongside of Paul as well. When we read this list in chapter 16, you can see it clearly, can't you? And what it shows us is that the women in the local church, in the early church, were critically needed for the sake and advancement of the gospel, when we think about it from a human perspective. Now, Paul has sometimes been labeled a misogynist, someone who looks down upon women in a condescending way, critical of them. But I think when you consider God's word, Paul goes to great lengths to emphasize the opposite. Look at this passage. He says in verse 1, I commend our sister Phoebe, that you may welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. He gives thanks for Priscilla there in verse 4, who had risked her neck for his life. We could look elsewhere in, in Paul's writings. You could go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where he acknowledges, again, get this, he's acknowledging individual people by name in the inspired word of God. Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother, who impacted Timothy in a significant way. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, he urges Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord as they had labored beside him in the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, he references Nympha, who had hosted a house church, and on and on we could go. You look at Jesus' own ministry, how he highlighted the importance and faithfulness of godly women. Women were there last to leave the cross and first to the tomb. You could look throughout the history of the church, go beyond now the New Testament scriptures, and, and you can look just back at history of Monica, the influential mother of St. Augustine, who had such an critical role in his life. We could look at Marcella, who lived in the fourth century in Rome, godly woman, was a close friend to Jerome, who translated the Latin Vulgate. Or we could go to the Reformation and look at Argula von Stauffer, one of Martin Luther's outspoken defenders in the public square. She had gained the title Insolent Daughter of Eve from her Catholic opponents. This is what Luther said of her in one of his writings. He says, that most noble woman, Argula von Stauffer, is there making a valiant fight with a great spirit, boldness of speech, knowledge of Christ. Her husband, who treats her tyrannically, has been deposed from his area. She alone, among these monsters, carries on with firm faith. She is a singular instrument of Christ. We could go on and on throughout the history of the church. Susanna Wesley, Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot's husband was killed, martyred in the jungle in South America. And she goes right back to those same people that killed her husband and ministers to them seeing many of them come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, the simple point is this. The church needs both men and women working together side by side for the cause of the gospel. And we need to recognize and affirm that. And that does not mean that women should just stick to the kitchen and the kids. Children are important. Food is important. But I think a lot of times that that's what we think. That's, you know, hey, take care of the kids, take care of the kitchen. That's not what the Bible instructs. Women along with men are called to share the gospel, to disciple others, to serve the needs of the church. They share in the same spiritual gift as do men, the same salvation, the same Holy Spirit. 
So the church needs faithful, zealous, godly women that will boldly declare the gospel and disciple others in the truth of God's word and carry on the faith for the glory of God. Paul acknowledged that. It's kind of a side point of application here. When you think about the nature of ministry, we not too long ago had a series on the importance of fellowship and community the importance of godly relationships in the local church. When you begin to unpack all that Paul's pointing out here, just by implication even, is that ministry is a fantastic place to foster fellowship. Oftentimes we hear people, I'm struggling with fellowship in the church, I'm struggling to connect, I'm struggling to foster godly friendships. Friends, there's no greater place to enjoy friendship and fellowship than in serving side by side for the cause of the gospel. Paul knew these people. He, listen, he had never been to Rome. That's why he's writing. And yet he knew many of them because of the relationships he had developed over time in ministry, working together in the gospel. And so we see the importance of the role of diversity in the local church. Now I'm just kind of zeroing in on the male-female relationship in the local church, but we can expand that celebration of diversity and apply that in many ways. In many, in, in many ways, the more diverse a local church is, the better off it is. This is God's beautiful design, and we need to see that developed and built. Second lesson that we learn from the godly influence of these women of Rome is that we're called to recognize the impact of others. I want to highlight two of the women Paul references here. First one is Phoebe the deacon. It's widely held that Paul likely wrote this letter to the Romans while he was in Corinth, probably on his second or third missionary journey. So he spent about 18 months in Corinth, and that's probably where he met Phoebe. She was from Kincray, or however you say that location, which was six and a half miles due east of Corinth, which was a port city where Corinth would have received a lot of its trade and goods. And so that's where she was located. Paul was in Corinth, six miles away. And so the church there had kind of a broad range and likely is where he met her. Two things about Phoebe that Paul states. One, she's a sister. Two, she's a servant. A sister. Notice the, 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 the language Paul is using. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Paul acknowledges that this is a beloved sister in Christ. She is a co-heir, a fellow recipient of grace, one who the Lord died to redeem. She'd been bought by the same blood, placed within the same family, given the same Holy Spirit. And Paul uses this warm, intimate language to say, listen, I commend to you this beloved sister. He acknowledges the unity that we are in Christ. He could have just said Phoebe, right? It's our sister, Phoebe. It's one of the things that I think that we need to take away just by implication from that is that we need to first and foremost see each other through the lens of the gospel and not through any other identity. When you consider the family of God, we live in a world that likes to label people, don't we? 
And, and we, we fall prey to that. We, we fall prey to this, this, this identity crisis. And we struggle with our identity. Who am I? Friend, if you're in Christ, you're a child of the King. We're in the family of God. You are a blood-bought, adopted child. And we are brothers and sisters. And that is how we must first and foremost see one another. As fellow heirs in Christ. But then he says she's a servant. Specifically a servant of the church of King Cray. Again, it's about six and a half miles east of Corinth. Paul would have sailed from this port with Priscilla and Aquila earlier in Acts, chapter 16, 18, somewhere in there. He left there and went across the the sea and dropped them off in Ephesus as he made his way back. Now, notice it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Kingray. Now, many scholars, as do I, hold that Phoebe was likely a deacon there at the church of Kingray. This term, diakonos, which means servant, can be translated servant more generically or deacon more specifically. And the fact that Paul says a diakonos or a deacon of the church or a servant of the church of Kincray seems to indicate that she held a specific and recognized office in that local church. Most likely, Phoebe was a wealthy businesswoman who could have very well used her influence to help Paul and others by showing hospitality and providing other assistance. You see that there in verse 2. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now get this, it's likely, it's, it's likely the case and widely held that it was Phoebe that took the letter of Romans and delivered it to Rome. Phoebe, this godly woman, influence, she had the means to travel and it was likely this lady that took the letter of the Romans to the Romans and delivered it to them. Paul commends her to their care and service because she's a fellow Christian, we should see each other in light of the gospel, and because she had demonstrated faithfulness in other locations. You see Phoebe, the impact that she had and the commendation that Paul gave her because of that. But then another lady I want you to see, and you could look down through there, um, and verse 13, we find the mother of Rufus. Now here in the Bible, she's not given a name. I'm sure she had a name. We don't know her name. Here Paul simply says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. She's given no name. We have no lengthy bio. Yet Paul takes the time to honor her. Why? Because she had shown exceptional kindness in some way to Paul. He was, she was a mother-like figure to Paul. And Paul wanted to commend her and thank the Lord for her. Now, in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, we're told that Simon of Cyrene was asked to carry Jesus' cross and that he had two sons, one of those sons named Rufus. And a lot of scholars think that, that this is the same Rufus that Paul's referring to in Romans. And so if it's the same Rufus, then this lady could have very well been the wife of Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Christ to Calvary. The point, though, being is that the impact she had on Paul's ministry by showing extraordinary kindness to him. I appreciate Jeremy's prayer earlier. You know, motherhood is is a gift of God, but sometimes 
Women aren't given that gift, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not yet at that point, and, and they can feel down upon themselves. But listen, your identity is not in motherhood. Your identity is not in being a father or being a mother or being this or being that. Your identity, first and foremost, is that you are an image bearer of God and an adopted child of the king. That's who you are. So whether you have natural children or not, or whether your children has grown or whether they are not, you have influence, you have impact that you can make on the lives of others for the glory and praise of God. And you matter just as, most, just as much as anyone else. Both these women show us the invaluable contributions of everyday practical ministry. Listen, you may be a wealthy businesswoman like Phoebe or an unnamed mother like the mother of Rufus, but both are critically important for the cause of the gospel. People may know you, and you may have outward influence, and people may not know you, and you've only had this quiet behind-the-scenes influence, but both are important, and both are critical to the flourishing and spread and advance of the gospel. God uses the wealthy. He uses the lowly. He uses the men and women, and we need to acknowledge and recognize the value of God's diversity in his kingdom work. Another thing that this list teaches us when we consider the impact of others is that we must be intentional in recognizing and affirming and appreciating those that labor among us. Now, we are blessed here at Redeeming Grace to have so many faithful workers. We are incredibly blessed. Thank you. I mean, it kind of seems silly for me to say that now because we're reading in the Bible, but, but really, this is a call for all of us to acknowledge and to affirm the valuable contributions that everyone makes in the life of a local church. We're blessed. Particularly, we can see here, as we're looking more specifically in, this, in these verses, the importance of valuing the worth and contributions that women make for the sake of the gospel. Now, sadly, we have seen both inside and outside the church examples of ungodly attitudes towards women, even in 2018. We continue to see the rise of politicians that demean women. We continue to see this be the case among pastors and even as of late seminary presidents. Others who have abused their authority to take advantage of women, to abuse women, and to demean them. Listen, misogyny has no place, no place in the local church. It has no place in the church. There is no place for chauvinist attitudes or comments towards our sisters in Christ or even unbelieving women for that matter. As, as men, I'm talking to you at this point, as men, we are called to value and commend and to encourage our sisters and co-laborers in the gospel. And there is much that you and I can learn from their faithfulness and their example. Friends, we must recognize the impact that all of us have in the kingdom of God. You know, and I've, I've been thinking about this. This is not just a sermon. I just popped in my head this, this, this week. I've thought long and hard about, especially in conservative, Bible-believing, complementarian environments, the neglect that women receive because of misapplying and over-applying passages of Scripture, misunderstanding what God has called and equipped us both, men and women, to be and to do, 
I have been a part, unfortunately and sadly, of joking attitudes and chauvinist attitudes and comments towards our sisters in Christ. And sisters, I am sorry. Friends, we have a family here. And every member of the family matters. All of us. We must recognize the impact of others that labor among us. And brothers, that means you must, I must, be very intentional in recognizing and, 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 and encouraging our sisters to continue to be faithful in the calling that God has given them. And number three, third lesson that we learn from the faithful and godly women of Rome is that we must count the cost that ministry requires. Paul goes on to mention several others by name here. You see in verses three and four, Prisca, or we know her as Priscilla, married to Aquila. They came to Corinth after the emperor expelled Jews from Rome. So they originated from Rome, likely became Christians in Corinth, and assisted Paul in his ministry there. In Acts chapter 18, we we're told that he takes them from, from there to Ephesus to help the church there. And now, apparently, they're back in Rome after a period of time. And Paul acknowledges that both of them, this husband and wife duo here, this, this team, risked their neck for Paul. Now, we're uncertain exactly what event Paul is referring to, but it could have been the riot that broke out in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 that he's referring to. But the point being is that Paul acknowledges both this, this husband and wife team, they risked their neck for him. And he acknowledges that, and he recognizes, not only does he recognize, he says all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them as well. Apparently they also hosted a house church. It's a great example of the beauty of a married couple serving together in ministry. Paul acknowledges them. Sometimes ministry is costly. They were willing to risk their necks for Paul and the sake of the gospel. In verse 6, we see a lady by the name of Mary. Commented, it's a common Jewish name. Uh, we don't know much about her, but Paul simply recognizes her as one who worked hard for you. This is a hard-working lady that served the church of Rome. In verse 7, we have a lady by the name of Junia. She was well-known to, or better, among the apostles. Some translations have Junius, a male, but Pretty much all the translators before the 13th century agree that it was a female, Junia. It's a common female name back in those days. And so assuming Junia is a woman, we're told that she was well-known to the apostles, can also be tra translated well-known among the apostles, which would have her being referred to here in some way as an apostle. Now, the translation is ambiguous, and you can't draw certain conclusions one way or the other from this text alone, because the word apostle can carry a looser reference of meaning, one that is a messenger or one that's sent out as a missionary. Or it can be a reference to kind of capital A apostle, like the twelve. But since she's not mentioned among the twelve, and since others like her, male or female, are often mentioned as messengers, it's likely that she was a faithful messenger or missionary scattered that, that was taking the gospel. Paul says of these two, uh, Junia and Andronicus, that they were in Christ before him. So they'd been Christians a long time, likely had learned even from them. You have in verse 12, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. Tryphena and Tryphosa were likely sisters, could have been slaves or freedwomen. 
There's a document, an old document that, that references two ladies by this name that were servants in kind of an imperial household. Very well could have been freed women. Their names mean delicate and dainty. Persis worked hard in the Lord. Again, you have example after example after example after example of faithful, godly women serving the cause of the gospel in Rome. And not just in Rome, beyond. Each of these are examples of believers willing to do the hard work of ministry, often at the very risk of their own lives, sacrificing much for the cause and advance of the gospel. They remind us that gospel ministry requires us to count the cost and that ministry is hard work. Grown up in the church along since, um, since childhood. And I can say that testimony after testimony of all the churches I've been in, the fruitfulness of local churches can often be traced back many times, if not most of the time, to faithful, godly women. Being who they are called to be in Christ, discipling others, teaching the gospel, praising God, serving in countless ways for the good of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. As the testimony of these women and so many more remind us that ministry is costly and ministry is worth it. That's what they teach us. So ladies, may the Lord continue to strengthen you and equip you and mobilize you for the cause of the gospel in this community, in this local church, in this community, and beyond for the glory of God. And men, may the Lord help us to continue to be faithful, to continue to be equipped as well alongside of them. That We would value their contribution and work in the sake of of ministry. And may we be a church of men and women co-laboring together and devoted to encourage each other in Christ until the Lord returns or calls us home. That's just a little bit of what we see from Romans chapter 16. Don't take for granted what you have and be quick to affirm the beauty of what God has built and is building within his own kingdom and among the families of local churches. Brothers and sisters, let's continue to walk together and co-labor together for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it shows us, for how it teaches us, for how it equips us, Father, I'm thankful for this passage, a greeting like this. Lord, even as we are tempted to often skim over it and, 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 and finish Romans, Father, there's, there's a wealth of information here as we just begin to get a, a little bit of insight into how the early church functioned. Father, I pray that we would find encouragement and help from this passage today. And Father, that you would continue to teach us and help us to walk faithfully as your people, that we would co-labor together for the sake of the gospel that we would be brothers and sisters fighting for truth, Lord, standing firm together in a world that is so lost and so confused. And Father, that we would commend each other well beyond the, the doors of this local church. And Father, that we would be faithful to encourage each other and to equip each other and to 
to, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So Father, may your word continue to take root in each of our hearts. May you continue to do your work and have your way in each of our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.